This episode of Courtside with Jordan is brought to you by Street of Sport, the first performance sneaker brand fully based in the city of Chicago. The goal is to create the most comfortable, lightest weight shoe in the game based on countless reviews they have accomplished that. Head over to streetofsport.com and grab yourself a pair to make sure you don't miss out on the next big thing in the basketball world. Join the movement again. Check them out at www.streetofsport.com where they have plenty to offer. You're listening to Courtside with Jordan, presented by Anchor. Joining us today, we have Rodney Pryor. Now, before we start asking him questions, Rodney is the founder of Identity Made. He has his own ebook called Recruiting, and he has had an impressive time playing professional basketball, not only overseas, but in states and with NBA organizations. And we're going to jump right into that. But Rodney, how are you doing? I'm doing well, man. Super excited for this uh, interview. Thank you, man. Now, what was interesting that, um, you know, we talked about this before, but when I came across your profile is that you're more than an athlete. You're an entrepreneur. Um, you know, you're really big into Christianity. You kind of spread that through, um, you know, basketball. But how was your time, you know, growing up in Evanston, Illinois, and then being get the opportunity to transfer to Georgetown? Um, how was that whole situation like and experience? Uh, it was uh, it was it was fun. Um, it was very interesting because I grew up in a football household. Um, so I was playing football more than I was basketball. Um, and then when I came across basketball, started to get more into it. Um, and at the time in Evanston, man, the talent was loaded. So um, I wasn't <laughs> that good. I was just kind of that guy following my friends around, seeing if I could get on the court. Um, we started to grow. So that helped, of course, um, going into uh, middle school um, where I started to get a little more confident started to believe in myself a little more from a basketball standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just so funny because at the time I was fans of all my friends because they were really good at the time. Five star basketball is like the camp to be at. Yeah. And like all of my buddies were at the camp. Um, so I was more so like playing basketball because I was a fan of my friends. Um, and then I kind of was more like competitive in football. Yeah. And then once I started to get that competitive edge in basketball, you know, God started blessing me. I started growing my confidence got better. Um, I started to see my peers as my competitors instead of as yeah. uh, people I look up to. So that helped. Um, and then going into high school, I had a high school coach that poured into me mm-hmm. um, that gave me a chance to really grow as a person and player. Um, and then I transferred from my public school to a private school, which was a, a big adjustment for me. Um, and then <clears throat> Didn't have great grades to mm-hmm. qualify for Division One, and I didn't really have that many schools. So I had to go junior college route. Mm-hmm. When I went JUCO, my first year didn't play that much. Was still learning who I was as a person, uh, my character as a player and person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up transferring, of course, um, because I wasn't playing and I thought I should be playing. And then when I got to my second JUCO, I broke my foot the first year. Um, and then the following season, so this is my third year in Juco, I tear my ACL. Oh my God. Um, and around this time, this is when my faith journey started to really become reality for me. Um, that like I needed a better relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Um, because when I got to Juco, 
I just fell into sin, was doing things that I shouldn't be doing. Um, and I just put basketball as an idol. Like it was basketball is my life. So if basketball yeah. wasn't going well, life wasn't going well. Yeah. Um, and God wanted me to grow out of that mindset. So he made me get injured. <laughs> so, um, but it was a, it was great for me. Um, mm-hmm. in that two years, I was able to really figure out who I was, what I wanted to do with the game. And then I was blessed with a division one scholarship to Robert Morris, where I played well for two years there, went to the tournament. And then I did a, a grad year at Georgetown. That That is such a like, that's, that's crazy that you, first of all, you weren't even really interested in basketball. You just liked your friends playing basketball. And then you went to JUCOs, then you transferred to Robert Morris. Then you get an opportunity to play at the prestigious Georgetown. And, um, you know, I think it's, good for people to hear to get where you to get to georgetown how long it took you and how many trials mm-hmm. now after georgetown you had a, a a spectacular season you went overseas were you kind of since you declared for the nba draft you kind of discouraged having to go overseas or was it something you just knew had to be part of the process to get back in the states and playing in the league yeah i, I was definitely discouraged um, I thought with the year, like if you would have told me before I went to Georgetown, I would mm-hmm. have the year that I had yeah. at Georgetown, I would say it's a no brainer um, that I would get drafted. Um, so I ended up, you know, averaging 18, 20 points in the Big East. I won the slam dunk contest. So like I had a lot of momentum. My team didn't do overall good as a uh, record wise, um, but I still thought I put enough together um, to get drafted or at least be signed. Yeah. Um, so going into pre-draft, um, you know, I was working out with Drew Hanlon, Pierre Sweat uh, in our class, in our uh, pre-draft that year it was me, Jason Tatum, Shimmy Ojale, mm-hmm. uh, Frank Mason, um, who else? Tony Bradley. We had we had some names. So like scouts and everything were there and I was playing well. Midway through pre, uh, pre-draft, I sprained my ankle like really bad, like almost broke it. So I was down for a month. Like I just, I literally couldn't even fight through it. It was like that bad where I had to wait to the swelling went down. I had to do physical therapy and I'm trying as hard as I can to get back. I'm just taking pain meds. I'm icing on off ice every 20 minutes all day. Um, And I had to cancel like seven or eight workouts. And so now it got tricky because why are you canceling workouts? So, and you don't want to say you're hurt. So then it just becomes like this weird situation. Um, And every workout I had to cancel, momentum just kept dropping, leverage kept dropping. And then I got healthy enough for my pro day where I still did really well. I shot the ball really well. Mm -hmm. I was still able to show my athleticism on a bummed ankle. And then I, I, I squeezed out four or five NBA workouts where I did well in a couple. And then going into the draft, went undrafted, spoke with some teams about summer league, exhibit 10s. And at the time, I was under the mindset of don't sign anything before summer league. Go to summer league and be who you are. You're going to get signed. Yeah. Um, so I turned down signing an exhibit 10, which is just a training camp deal. Yeah. Um, and when I got to summer league with Brooklyn and I'm thinking, man, Brooklyn hasn't been good that long uh, for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is a prime opportunity to go to a team that's, you know, still trying to get back to 
um, you know, winning. Mm-hmm. We get there, they bring eight guys to summer league from the, from the roster. So that's an automatic, no minutes. <laughs> so yeah. I'm over here like, man. And then first game I get in, hit my first three, come down on somebody's foot on the same ankle and re-roll it. Stop. So I'm done. I'm done oh. for summer league. And, uh, at the time, again, now momentum and leverage has dropped even further. So now it's like, I know who I am. I know the year I have, but it's like other dudes in summer league are performing well. So now they're gaining in momentum. Mm. And their stock is rising. Yeah. So at the time I had some overseas looks um, and I just was so against overseas um, just because of all the horror stories. But a team in Turkey ended up offering me 120, which is like rare for a rookie Mm. um, to make, you know, that much right away. Um, so I took it and I go out to Turkey and I get with the team and it's just chaos. Our sponsors weren't, uh, working well with the team and sponsors are who help the team pay the players. Right. So I'm out here, I'm fresh out of college. I have no money. Good thing. I had great vets on my team. I was still able to help me sustain like my first month or two out there before our first paycheck, Mm -hmm. but not getting paid on time our living situation was not great. Um, and then it's just overseas basketball. You're trying to get acclimated to a new culture, um, a new style of play, you know, where, so in the States, it's all about, you know, creativity scoring. Um, and out there it's just straight team basketball. Like they don't want you breaking off plays, none of that. So it's like a huge adjustment. So you're frustrated. I'm from, uh, my uh, girlfriend at, or yeah, my girlfriend at the time. And it was just so big of an adjustment that I'm like, I, I need to go back home. Like I'm, I'm yeah. not ready. I'm not ready for this. And then after three months when they still weren't paying and they wasn't even playing me the way I thought I should be playing. So I was like, you know what, I'm gonna just go back home and get back into G. Mm-hmm. Now, they say the, like overseas, it's a bruiser league. Did you find that very true, that it was very much kind of a competitive league? And did you see guys who had very similar situations to you? They played Division One basketball. They had an opportunity with an NBA team. Did you see them um, in the same position as you in the same league? Yeah. Yeah. The, the stories over there, man, are, are pretty identical. Um, yeah. And it is a bruiser league. Like, and for Americans, too, because we have the talent uh, not mm-hmm. – they allow the domestic players in the country to rough you up because it's like, well, we're so much more athletic and a little bit more talented. Now don't get Mm -hmm. me wrong. There's some, some ballers out there in, in those countries. Um, But the game is way more physical. Um, It's not as spacious as the NBA. You can still crowd the paint. You got big 300 pound bruisers (laughs) waiting in the paint to, to value. So of course that's an adjustment. Overseas yeah. is just college with really good grown men playing. Um, but yeah, when you look at guys over there, you see dudes that came up D2 mm-hmm. or low major D1 just had to grind it out. They fare well overseas because it's right up their alley. Like yeah. it's kind of just been that same story their whole career. Um, and then what I seen when I got to Georgetown, luxury treatment, five star everything, hotels, uh, going out to eat, 24 hour facility. Like mm-hmm. our facility was better than some NBA facilities. 
Um, you got a rebounder 24 seven. Like you just have yeah. all these luxuries as a basketball player. And then you get overseas and it's just like, it's a different story. It's just a completely different story. A lot of countries are just far behind and just, the luxury feel of a basketball court, a mm-hmm. locker room, a weight room, like our weight room was terrible. Our courts were terrible. Locker rooms were terrible. So it's like when you're coming from something so good and then you get to something like this, it's, it's, it's a tough adjustment, especially if you can't see the, the appreciation, the appreciation factor mm-hmm. um, in all of it. So I think from that standpoint, a lot of guys get over there and struggle because it's just like, like, man, I just came from like the world and yeah. now I'm here and my coach is annoying and mm-hmm. super hard on me. And I got a whole bunch of veterans and I'm the rookie. So right. it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tall tree to climb when you, when you get over there. I'm sure it's frustrating, especially, you know, when they're overseas and not all of them, did they, did they speak English to most of them or was it very like chopped just kind of uh, from what they took from other players? Yeah. But my team, a lot of guys spoke English um, because they played on their national team and traveled around and our coaches spoke English. So it was good from that standpoint. There was no Mm. language barrier, Mm. Um, but a lot of guys do get to teams where there is a language barrier and you need a uh, you need somebody to communicate (laughs) for you. Now, you went then you talked about, you know, going to the G League and you ended up signing with Miami Heat. Um, organization the what they're the force what's yeah, the full name force. yeah sky force how was that kind of finally you're getting back in the states and you signed a contract with an nba organization where you know gms have their eyes on you and they're looking out for players who they can bring up was that kind of a relief to be back in the states and be back in the swing of things to get back on the road to to be in the league man when i tell you when i got on that flight out <laughs> that yeah. might have been one of the happiest moments of my life and yeah, coming back, I spoke with the coaches there and I'm still under the mindset because this is the first year of the G with two ways. Mm. So I was still under the mindset of thinking about the D league. And at the time the D league, um, wasn't as big as the G league is now where like guys are like, I'm going to just stay in the D league. Mm. But when I got back, so I'm thinking I'm going to get to the D and kill. And yeah. get my call up, get right back to the league right away. Um, and I remember getting there, too, because, you know, everybody, you pretty much know everybody that's in the G. You played mm-hmm. against them um, in college. And a lot of the guys that was on uh, my Skyforce team, I actually played against um, in college. So, like, they knew okay. who yeah. I was. So, from a player standpoint, everybody like, dang, Rodney coming, like, they're going to let him do whatever he want. Mm-hmm. And, I, and in my head, I'm thinking, well, I hope that's true. Right. And I get there and I didn't play like their first five games, like no minutes. And I'm calling my agent like, like, like what's going on? Like what happened? Mm -hmm. Um, And it was just how, how things started to go two ways. So at the, the structure of the G is uh, the assignment player. So the person who signed with the NBA team, Mm -hmm. if they come down and play, it's all about them. Then you got the two-way players, so two two-way players. So it goes assignment, two-way players, and then the Exhibit 10 players who went to training camp, mm-hmm. and then you have the G League players. So and it's right, a whole ladder. of that. You yeah, have it's a whole ladder. Up. Wow. The whole ladder you have to climb up. And, you know, it's just a, the nature of the game. It's the nature mm-hmm. of, uh, of the business side where 
you have to push before the season mm-hmm. to get signed by NBA team or get a two way or at least get invited to training camp. So you have some type of leverage on the, um, on the G league team. That, that, I think that's a different perspective of how people think that, you know, you automatically signed with the team that you're going to be able to get looked at, but there's so many tiers that you have to kind of go through. Mm-hmm. And I don't think really they talk about like the assigned players and, you know, you know, two way and I exhibit 10 are pretty known, but that, there is a huge gap. There's still a gap between two way and then assigned players. So, oh yeah, oh yeah. But uh, then you went to Toronto. How was that kind of? You know, then you had some time to play on the force, um, and then you're now going to Canada to play within within the Raptors organization. Did you kind of see New Hope there? Or did you it kind of expect the same situation down in uh, the from Miami? Um. So leaving after that year with uh, Miami, yeah, um, I finished up pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was just scattered minutes the whole season. Some games I'm starting, getting DMPs, mm-hmm. playing 10 minutes. So it was just so up and down. Um, but I finally got like a groove in my off the court stuff, working out, uh, weight room, and then, you know, just trying to stay as confident as possible, even if I only play five minutes. Yeah. Um, so I started to get the swing of just the nature of the beast mm-hmm. um, so that I can stay confident. Cause I think when we lack telling the truth of the professional side of the game, mm-hmm. it just tears apart people's confidence because it's like, do I suck? Why am I not playing? Like, right. so you just drop. Um, so when I got to Toronto, I actually, before that, so the following year mm-hmm. I went to training camp with Sioux Falls again. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, man, I'm a returner. They see my face. They know my character. It kind of lines up with how the heat go about everything. So I'm like, man, this might be a better year, better opportunity for me to try and get on the floor so that I can compete to be on summer league so I can get an exhibit 10 or a two way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I get the training camp with the Sioux Falls Sky Force and six wings come from the heat from their training camp. So now I'm like, oh, same thing in Brooklyn. It's over. Yeah. So I, I, I go to my coach and I tell him, look, I, I understand like y'all, the situation It's six wings that came mm-hmm. from training camp. They're going to get the nod first. Um, so I don't want to waste my time trying to out compete them because it's unrealistic. Mm-hmm. So can we find a way to get me traded? So we go through that. I get traded to the Bulls. And again, same situation. A lot of dudes actually played in the Big East that was on the uh, Bulls team that I got traded to. And they're mm-hmm. like, man, Rodney here. So I'm thinking, man, Lord, is this is this the breakthrough opportunity? So I get there, first game, only play like seven minutes. And then we go to D.C. And this is where I'm living at the time in D.C. Um, with my fiance now. And I didn't get in the game. And then the next morning I get waived. In the hotel, the coach calls me downstairs. Um, they got the way papers right there. And they were like, do you want to stay here and we ship your stuff? Or do you want to fly back with the team and, and get your stuff? So I flew back. And I was actually home in Evanston for about two weeks, two and a half weeks or mm-hmm. three, maybe before Toronto called. And Toronto called because this is around the FIBA Cup qualifying time where 
the national players go to their uh, FIBA teams. Mm -hmm. And Toronto at the time had like three guys or four guys that were uh, on a FIBA roster. Mm -hmm. So I got the substitute (laughs) roster spot. So it was not even anything that was supposed to be um, long term. Mm -hmm. But I got there and God gave me favor, man. I, I played extremely well from Jump Street was practicing extremely well, you know, built a great relationship with the uh, front office and the, the coaching staff. So when the guys got back, they found a way to keep me um, on the team. And I carved out a role as the sixth man where mm-hmm. I, I thrived in that role. I, I thought I was going to get a call up um, that season. Mm-hmm. Um, but then towards the back end of the season, we started making some changes. Wade Baldwin had got waived, so we picked him up. Um, and then we picked up another guy. Um, Malachi Richardson was coming back. So minutes just stopped out of nowhere. So yeah. all the momentum that I was building up just kind of halted out of nowhere. Um, but I really enjoyed my time in Toronto. They uh, they really take care of their G, G League team um, and really poured time and effort um, into the situation there. Now, then you went to the Utah Jazz, Salt Lake City Jazz. Um, how was that experience when you were in the bubble and you started, you actually played in their showcase? Uh, was it the bubble or was it the showcase or was the showcase in the bubble? Um, so when we got with the jazz, this was right before the pandemic hit. Okay. Um, and they did a great job with organizing this team. So we were first in the West. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were the number one defensive team um, in the G. We won the showcase in Vegas and that was the first year they did the hundred thousand um, dollar prize money. I think we won fourteen games in a row going into Vegas and then winning those games in Vegas. Um, but yeah, my I mean my role was um, still kind of similar. Um, you know, veteran presence, help build culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really locked in that year to just trying to be the best defensive player I could be, um, and thrive defensively with the group when I did get my minutes play really well when I started I was averaging over 20 points a game mm-hmm. um, and we were winning you know we had a really good situation growing a couple guys got call-ups a couple guys got two ways so I think if COVID didn't hit um, when it did we would have gave ourselves a chance to for a lot of guys from our teams to to get to uh, better places because we were just rolling on all cylinders mm-hmm. Um, then COVID hits. So now when COVID hits, <clears throat> seasons get canceled. And I know at this time, everything's about momentum and leverage. Yeah. Um, and I'm not getting any younger and more talent is coming into the G League. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to establish relationships with all the teams I play with uh, and just people I know mm-hmm. through passing and crossings at G League Showcase or even after games. Um, and trying to stay in touch with my uh, front office and, and my coaching staff at uh, Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. Um, so then when it happened, um, we're talking with the G League uh, board because they're trying to get the uh, Players Association for the G League. So we had meetings like that throughout the uh, pandemic. And then when the bubble started, it got really challenging because 11 teams opted not to go into the bubble. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of sp- jobs <laughs> being cut just like yeah. that. Um, so then when we go back to the ladder, only 17 teams are going into the G League bubble. 
And now you got to think about the, the, the draft that just came in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now you got to think about the dudes who got waived from NBA rosters. They're funneling into G League teams. Then you got to think about dudes that got drafted who are funneling into G League teams. And then you then we got the G League draft. So I thought I had enough momentum to get uh, reacquired because Salt Lake ended up picking up a couple guys out of the draft or that got waived. Mm-hmm. Um, Yogi Ferrell was with them. Malcolm Miller was with them. And then they had some some draft guys, some exhibit 10 guys with them. So the construct of the, the bubble roster was this. You had a, however many assignment guys came down, but they didn't count towards the roster spots. So then you had 10 roster spots. It was only 10 available spots per team. Mm-hmm. So the first four were flex players. So let's say you were with the Bulls mm-hmm. and their G League team didn't come into the bubble their exhibit 10 guys would then get put on a team that's in the bubble. So you got four guys flex. Yeah. And then you have your four exhibit 10 guys, which is eight. And then you have room for two G league guys. And that's kind of how the roster (laughs) was made up going into the bubble. So it was just so tough to have a spot going into the bubble. So I, I ended up missing the G league bubble. Um, just had to watch it from home, still training, still working out, mm-hmm. trusting that God is going to allow me to still, you know, be a professional basketball player. Um, at the time was uncertain about going overseas just because how affected America was with the pandemic. I could only mm-hmm. imagine what these other countries were like, but again, yeah. it's a mentality thing. And I'm glad God has helped me maximize who I am away from the game so that I don't necessarily need to go overseas. Um, And then my wife got pregnant. So it was just like, I can't go now. So now I'm building up my entrepreneur side of things so that, you know, I have momentum going for me apart from the game because dude still went out overseas and just got into bad situations. But some people understand that you got to fight it out so that the next year you'll have something better. What are some things that you see professional athletes go through on a day-to-day basis? Not only, oh, let's, we'll stick to the G League. What are some things that you see athletes go through that some people, that it doesn't meet the, the human eye that you think that some people should know about that? Because I think there's kind of um, a presence around players in the G League that they're A, not good enough to make it to the NBA, but they're better to play overseas so what are some things that you kind of see players go through that um you know really shapes the g league to be where it is um i think the aspect of understanding how hard it actually is to get to the league especially Mm -hmm. you know when you're trying to recreate momentum for yourself um if you're not coming in with momentum um yeah and then like just giving guys grace because a lot of times people are are like, why do you stay in the G? Why do you stay in the G? Why don't you go get money overseas? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times dudes are locked in on trying to get to the league. A lot of people don't want to make that cross overseas just because of the, the culture difference. Um, and honestly, some guys just know they wouldn't last. Like if we're going to be uh, honest, like it's it's hard to last over there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
especially if you got kids, you got family situations, whatever you might have going on in the States, because you're gone for 10 months. Yeah. There's no coming home. There's no emergency fly back homes and you still got your job. Like not, it's you're there. Start, yeah. Months. Um, so it's just so many different things that people don't see of why people are making the decision um, that they're making. And now I think that's why we're seeing a, the G League grow even more because a lot of guys, especially uh, five-star recruits, mm-hmm. uh, one-and-done guys who are not getting signed by the league are like hearing these horror stories and are like, I'm going to just try and fight in the G mm-hmm. um, and bet on myself. No, I think that's I think that's good for people to hear that, you know, again, how in-depth the NBA is and how much things that go on behind closed doors and the steps to take to get to the NBA. So it's really impressive for people. You know, I would say, you know, players probably work harder, would you say, in the G League than the NBA? Because when you're in the NBA, it seems like you kind of have a spot for now. But in the G League, it's it's very cutthroat. So would you say players work harder in the G League or the NBA? Um. Or yes, is it kind you know, of mixed mixture yeah, of both? It's kind of mixed. Um, I mean, you got you got your guys who are just naturally talented. So when you look at from just the eye test, it's like, well, they don't work that hard. Yeah. But it's like they work according to who, you know, their production. Um, but in the G, it is tougher. It's a five-month season. You're not getting paid that much. So from a mentality standpoint, and this is just, you know, being real. If I'm making a million dollars and I get waived, big deal. Yeah. If I'm only making thirty-five thousand mm-hmm. dollars and I get waived, it's a big deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't have money. I don't. I can't sustain paying bills and all of that yeah. off of thirty-five k. So, and then the G, it's a flux of guys getting cut like. If you go to the G League website, they have a transaction tab. Mm-hmm. And every week, it's a guy on the transaction tab. Like, we had a guy in my year, Kyle Kaslin, mm-hmm. who he, he has an impressive story. Had a great training camp, got waived. He didn't make the roster. Went home, was working, and was working for Chick-fil-A. Because it's like, <laughs> you're not going back to your dorm room. Yeah, you know, You're going back to the real world now. Man. So this man in two months got to the manager position at Chick-fil-A mm-hmm. while still getting up every day at 6 a.m. to work out. And he got called back to our team um, and uh, was playing back with our team um, and then gets waived again. So it's like to be ready mm-hmm. for the G is, is crazy. You never know when you're going to get the call to come or you're going to get the call um, to go home. Yeah. I'm sure that has to be stressful on, on players all the time to, to kind of keep that performance up. Now discuss um, your kind of own startup. It's called Identity Made. Kind of discuss what that's about and, and how you're kind of going beyond more than an athlete standard. Yeah. So this this is the logo right here, the I. Okay. Um, and it, it has uh, Christian roots behind it. So the I is a nail mm-hmm. and the D is Jesus's palm. Um, just symbolizing the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. But even when we go secular, it's not necessarily us beating down that you need to be Christianity. Mm-hmm. The overall aspect is identity. Um, we're all trying to figure out who we are. Yeah. Um, so during the time of the pandemic, 
I knew I wanted to get into something to give back to the next generation mm -hmm. um, of athletes. So just trying to come up with different creative ideas that I th thought would stick. And one thing that kept coming to me was gear. Mm. Like as an athlete, from the moment I became an athlete to today, gear matters. What are yeah. we getting this season? What backpack? What shirts? You know, what designs are we getting on the shirt? What mm. tracksuits are we getting? Um, and I've seen the difference from every stage. So in high school, you had okay gear. Yeah. Um, and when I went JUCO, terrible gear. <laughs> no, like we, the quality was bad. We didn't have a lot of it. Mm -hmm. um, and your gear gives you you your identity on the team. Like I'm wearing yeah. this shirt. That means I'm on the basketball team. Mm -hmm. If you're not on the basketball team, you don't have this shirt. Yeah. Um, so it did give you a sense of, you know, identity with the team. And then when I went D1 to Robert Morris, um, it was better gear than Juco, but we didn't have quantity as yeah. a, a Duke, Ohio State, you know, mm -hmm. these bigger Nike schools. Um, and you just can see what it does for people's confidence. Like where you, I have buddies that were at the high majors and they calling me on FaceTime, showing mm -hmm. me duffel bags, just loads of gear. And I'm over here with like two t-shirts and a hoodie. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then when I got to Georgetown, it's, we're a Jordan elite school. So we got Jordan everything. Like I'm talking multiple track suits, hoodies, shirts, like just on on call um did you get any pe like i'm sure you do you get a four or like some or georgetown we got, the, uh, 13. Or, we, got uh, the, we got the georgetown 13s and the in the low top retro twos my year when i was there oh man. the last couple of years man they had the threes the fours the yeah. fives i'm like yo what's going, what's going on so yeah but like going to georgetown knowing you got that mm -hmm. makes you feel different you have a different type of swag even after you play, like dudes that don't play, mm -hmm. like I got Georgetown gear on. So when I started thinking about all of that, I'm like, man, how can I do something with gear? Yeah. And I knew I wanted to do something along the lines of mentorship too, just to mm -hmm. help athletes maximize who they're who they are. That's where how we came up with identity. Mm -hmm. um, so what identity is? We're a sponsor. We're an apparel sponsorship company. So. We serve the likes of a Nike, Adidas, Jordan, Under Armour, where we go to schools um, and we sponsor their apparel and their jerseys and their uniforms. And then we couple it with a mentorship program okay. where guys like myself, mm -hmm. and I want to create a farming system for guys in the G League because it's only a five-month season where you only make 35K. So what are you going to do the next seven months? A yeah. lot of guys try to go overseas. Um, but if not, you, you back home working a regular job. Mm -hmm. um, so what I want to do is create a farming system for G League guys to go back to these schools and lead them through the mentorship uh, program um, to help kids maximize themselves, to know the story, to do life with, you know, people they want to be in uh, the same position as. But also, a lot of kids aren't going to go to college for sports after mm -hmm. high school. So how can we make that experience that of a, of a pro mm -hmm. and vice versa for uh, college? If you don't go pro, how can we make your experience there um, like a pro? And mm -hmm. here is one of the main components. So um, we did, it took us a year and a half 
literally a week by week trying to find manufacturers abroad mm-hmm. and the right ones that were getting the right material and, and all of yeah. that. Um, and we finally got all our uh, manufacturers lined up. We got our systems lined up and man, we got some dope apparel coming. Our jerseys are, our jerseys are going to compete with NBA jerseys. So imagine now being at high school where you got equivalent gear yeah. to what, you know, James Harden and, and them got. And then we just want to build a community around it. So we won't go retail right away. Mm-hmm. We want to just kind of make our stamp in the community. So get the schools and then the surrounding neighborhood to uh, to work with the school through gear um, mm-hmm. and just super excited about it. Man, that, that seems kind of revolutionary. You're changing the game and you're allowing um, athletes can, to kind of have that full experience to say, even if you're not going to go to the NBA, you're going to get treated like an NBA player. And, you know, we're going to help and, and work with you. Now, talk about your book. It's called Recruiting. Um, how did you come about the idea and what it is about? Yeah, so I, I I read a ton of books. My bookshelf is right here. Let me show you real quick. I just have. So I grew up a reader. Um, mm-hmm. I just love to read. Um, and it's been so beneficial for me. So in, in the time during the pandemic, I'm like, man, how can my content be even better? Yeah. Uh, how can it be more intentional? Um, and I was like, man, ebooks are, you know, something I can make super simple um, and just get some content out, you know, for kids in this time because they were away from being with each other because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So the first ebook I wrote was called Making It in the G League. And I made this book just so people kind of understood the grind, what it looked like to make it, you know, as a, uh, right under the NBA. Mm-hmm. And I, I wrote it so that every reader could take something from it, even if you wasn't a, a, a basketball player. Yeah. Uh, so I just broke down the aspect of networking and relationships, um, the love of the game, um, confidence, and in uh, politics. It's mm-hmm. a word you hear a lot in sports, but no one really understands what politics really is so i break that down um in the ebook so that people kind of have a gauge on where to just navigate that world and that led me to write another one more intentional for high school kids because at this time with the pandemic recruiting's kind of down um and kids are trying to figure out where they want to go so i wrote the book recruiting and basically just helped in that book, I wanted to help them be able to make the best decision possible. It might not necessarily be the right decision, but it's going to give you a chance to make the best decision possible for yourself. So in that one, I break down fantasy versus reality. Like I do believe as a player, you need um, a delusional confidence, something that you can chase for, but you also need to have a gauge on reality. So how, how long does it take for you to shrink that gap between delusional and reality? Yeah. Um, and that gives you a chance to see where you're at as a ball player, where you don't necessarily need someone to tell you. Um, I break down the importance of having a mentor um, in your life, someone that can tell you the truth, the honest truth, um, because that's what you need in order to get to the next level. Because you see a lot of kids now, like I'm going to go to the league or I'm going to go D one and they don't work hard and, They don't work on their game. They're just, you know, they're just delusional. They have no concept of reality. So breaking down the importance of a mentor, 
then I break down all the levels of the next level. So mm. JUCO, prep school, NAIA, D2, D3, D1, um, and just the difference um, in those levels so that kids understand all their options to you know further their playing career. Um, and then after that, I break down the essence of a coach. Mm-hmm. How do you operate with a coach? Like a lot of kids don't know this and you run into a coach that might not necessarily be great for you mm-hmm. and they end your career. Like you're yeah. just done right there because of that coach. So yeah. I break down how to, you know, excel with any type of coach. And then the last one is how do you make your decision? So I mm-hmm. basically take them back through the journey from your freshman year all the way up to your uh, senior year. If you're the number one player in high school or mm-hmm. if you're <laughs> no one even knows yeah. who you are. So I just kind of break down all those different points for them. You know, I think I think that's kind of that that's more than the athlete's stance. And I and I think that's great that you're doing that. And I'm sure it's gonna be very effective and it is very effective for a lot of young athletes kind of upcoming and and try to figure out where they need to go in their career. And especially for you, since you've been to two JUCOs, you've had multiple injuries. You've kind of been through the world in the NBA and the G League. You've had it overseas. So I think it's good that you're kind of experiencing your knowledge and, um, you know, you're kind of mentoring people that you even haven't even met yet, but they're still having it. Your, your words are still having an impact on them. But that's going to wrap up today's episode. So Rodney Pryor would like to thank you for coming on today's show. Uh, thank you for having me. I love your platform and uh, hope nothing but success and that you get more guys on here. Thank you, man. I appreciate it.